Good morning, everybody. So good to be with all of you. And uh, it is a joy, an absolute joy, not just to be here, but to be an overseer uh, for Denver United. Um, my wife, Jossie, and I have known uh, Rob and Mari, uh, Mari actually since college, and Rob not long after that. And so it is a joy to have long-term friends. You know, it takes a long time to have long-term friends. And when you have them, they are a huge gift. And so grateful for them. Uh, my wife and I love Robin Mari, and we love Denver United and uh, pray for you on a regular. Uh, are so uh, in, in, encouraged by what is happening here and uh, pray for the Holy Spirit to pour himself out on each of you individually and all of you collectively. So I consider it a huge honor to be here and to be a part of this Sunday morning. Um, as we start, uh, I want to, uh, we're going to play a little game. Can we do that? All right. What, these are the, the things that go together, right? Peanut butter and? Okay, good. All right. All right. That, that's good. Batman and? All right. Great. Sweet and? Thunder and? Yeah, right. Okay. Bacon and? Everything. Okay. All right. <laughs> Emotional health and spiritual maturity. See, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. They go together. It's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. You ever met somebody or you know somebody that prays a lot, but they're really mean? They can pray the paint off the walls, but they're really hard to navigate. Or the person who loves God, not questioning people's love for God, but, but they're emotionally, let's say, unstable in the sense of, and I'm not talking about a, a, a mental health or things along the lines of, of physiological or uh, in need of medical help. Talking about the emotional stability, where the, you never know when you walk into the room with this particular person whether or not you're going to have to walk on eggshells or not. Or maybe the person who goes to every Bible study that they can, but you find them to be exceptionally greedy. Like there's something that doesn't quite connect. Our emotional health and our spiritual maturity are inseparable. And just because somebody walks with God for a long time doesn't mean that they're emotionally mature. You can have walked with Jesus for 20 years and just have done the same thing 20 times in a row. Mark chapter 12, Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Oftentimes within the Christian community, there is an emphasis on the mind, which there should be. That is a good emphasis. We should read our Bibles, memorize the Scripture. But if we leave it up to that alone, we're missing something else. That's why Jesus says, love the Lord not just with your mind, but with your whole body, everything that you are. Because if it was just up to our minds, I wish it was actually. I would love to be able to think myself into transformation, right? I mean, 
How often have you thought, I wish I was more patient? I would love to be more patient. And I'm really patient when I'm by myself. I think I'm the most patient person around. But, it ta- but once I get around other people, I realize, oh, I'm actually not that patient. You annoy me. So our emotional health has something to do with the relationships around us. And I see this in myself. My defensiveness, the ways in which maybe my annoyance turns into anger, the ways in which maybe anxiousness plays itself out in my life, my reactivity to a person or an action. And the reality is, is I don't need to pray more. Now, I'm not dismissing nor devaluing prayer. I just think there's some other things that need to get into our hearts and our lives in order for, along with prayer, along with reading the Scripture, along with participating in church activity, that will bring about a more holistic, transformative process in our lives. I love this series that you're in, and I love the opportunity to be a part of group chat. The idea that our emotional health, see, has impact on the people around us. This isn't just an internal, just me kind of thing. See, because if I deal with my anger or my hurts well, it's going to make me a better dad. It's going to make me a better husband. It's going to make me a better pastor. My relational dynamics are going to be better. And so what's important is that we have an idea of what's going on on the inside, that we're able to tune into our emotions. Now, for some of you to hear about emotions or feelings brings up lots of different responses. For some, you like have never met a feeling that you didn't like. You're like, I'm all about it. Feelings, you know, you'd love the song Feelings, right? And it fits right into our cultural mantra. You know, follow your heart. And essentially, whatever you feel the strongest is what's most true about you. So give yourself over to it so that you can be your true self. But as a follower of Jesus, we realize that our, that our strongest feeling isn't necessarily the truest thing about us. Our strongest feeling isn't necessarily our deepest desire. Or maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum. You're on the side of the spectrum that says, no, 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 no. feelings, they just distractions. Feelings are problems. Feelings, I don't want them to drive my life. I just need to, like, ignore them. And so we distract ourselves from our feelings by staying busy or playing golf or playing video games or shopping. Or maybe we numb ourselves to the feelings that we are not liking a Netflix binge or extra glass of wine or two. Now, it's true. Feelings shouldn't drive our lives. Think of feelings like toddlers. A toddler shouldn't drive a car. But just because they shouldn't drive a car doesn't mean you throw them in the trunk. Toddlers have a place. Five-point harness in the second row, right? And feelings are the same. They shouldn't drive, but we don't throw them in the trunk either. So there is a different way than just it's all about the feelings or it's like we're not even going to talk about it at all. 
Or some of you would say, well, I, I like feelings, just the positive ones. You're like the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. <laughs> or maybe you've bought into the idea that real men don't cry. Or anytime you cry, male or female, you apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry. Anybody ever seen the movie Inside Out? It's the animated movie about the like emotional headquarters inside this little girl. And she moves from, I think it was Minnesota to San Francisco. And so she leaves some of her friends and she's sad. But inside, they're trying to like kick sadness out and just, just have her engage the happy emotion. And throughout the movie, what we find is, is that as, she, as they try to kick out sadness, she essentially starts, things start to fall apart. The goal is not that she isn't able to engage happiness, but that when we engage sadness, we'll be able to experience happiness and joy as well. I'd like to actually like to suggest this, that if we don't actually, uh, the depth to which we will experience difficult emotions is the, is the height to which we will be able to experience positive emotions. Sometimes what we do is we shut down the negative and find ourselves in this like kind of deadened middle. And there's something though about every aspect of our lives being alive. Irenaeus, church father, says, the glory of God is man fully alive. Mind, heart, soul, body, every aspect of who we are. I had a friend one time who had an older car, and I, I noticed one time when I got into his car, as he was driving, I, he had a piece of duct tape uh, on the dash, in the, in the you know, the, in front of his steering wheel. And I was like, what's that? He says, oh, that's duct tape over the check engine light. It's on. <laughs> now, he couldn't see it. Did that mean that it meant it go, go, went away? No, it made it worse. It was just only going to get worse. Sometimes we think, oh, I'll just put some duct tape over that. Just going to put some duct tape over that sadness. Just going to put some duct tape over that despair. Just going to put some duct tape over that thinking, if I can't see it, it's just going to go away. No, it actually is going to make it worse. I don't know what your home was like, but mine growing up was, was a, a feelings avoidant home. So we didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about ways that maybe we were not doing well or maybe ways in which other, others of us had bumped one another. And so there wasn't much reconciliation and helpful, honest conversation to develop healthier relationships. But then every now and then, all that got swept under the rug exploded. It like big, massive, blow-up, crying, anger, yelling. And the next day, you know what happened? Everything back to normal. We never talked about the blow-up. We just needed to release some pressure, I guess. And it blew up, and then we'd start over again. And that was the cycle for decades. And it had impact on our relationships because we weren't honest with ourselves. We weren't honest with each other. See, our ability to know our emotional state has an impact on our relationship with God, ourselves, and others. Augustine, in his book, Confessions, says, How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know Thee. Or Dan Allender and Tremper Longman in their book, The Cry of the Soul, 
Uh, Tremper Longman is a theologian. Dan Allender, a counselor, he says, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us in to reality. And reality is where we meet God. In other words, what he's saying here, and then I'll finish the quote, is we can't pretend to not be where we actually are. Emotions are the language of the soul. However, we often turn a deaf ear and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. Or the theologian Ice Cube says, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. (laughs) And the Scripture gives lots and lots of ideas around emotions. And first and foremost is that God has emotions. Genesis chapter 6, I'm just going to run through several. Verse 6, the Lord regretted that He had made human beings, and His heart was deeply troubled. Exodus 4.14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. 2 Samuel 22.20, He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. Matthew 9.36, about Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion on them. Luke 10, 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Mark 3, 5, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed in their stubborn hearts. Matthew 26, 38, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What's my point? God created us in His image. God has emotions. He gave us emotions. And Jesus was emotional. And we not only made in the likeness of God, but also are called to become more like Jesus, who expressed emotions. And the Psalms give us permission and encourage us to engage emotions, joy, pain, anger, grief, fears, and hopes. Just a couple. Psalm 6. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me. Lord, my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. So much emotion in that. Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or Psalm 137, verse 9. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. I mean, can we just pause for one, just one second and think, that's in the Bible? That is in the Bible. Now, is that an affirmation of throwing babies against rocks? No, it's not. It is an encouragement to let your rage out. This is David raging. He is so angry at his enemies that this is what he wants to see. You ever say things that you're not actually going to do, but it's just out of an absolute rage? That's what the Psalms encourage. Let it out. But in order to let it out, we got to know what it is. So I think there's something about us that needs to increase our, our emotional vocabulary. And, and if you're like me growing up, my emotional vocabulary had three words in it. Good. How are you? Good. Fine, which really isn't an emotion. (laughs) 
and bad or mad, maybe. So maybe three are good, bad, and mad. Bad's not an emotion either, right? So like, okay, that's good, but can we break those down? I heard somewhere one time that, that the emotionally healthy person should be able to identify 50 emotions. You're like, I don't think I can go above seven. Disappointed. Ashamed. Sad. Right? On and on. The goal, though, is not just to have a bigger vocabulary. The goal isn't, is not just to be able to identify and nuance your feelings, though that's valuable. The goal of that is so that it can take you somewhere. Expanding our emotional vocabulary, understanding and being honest with where we are at, is a means to an end. The goal is to explore what is going on underneath the surface, like an iceberg, right? To be able to not just see what's going on, on, the, on the, above the surface, but to know that in an iceberg, there's so much more. Actually, the majority of the iceberg is not seen. And the same is true for you and me. We see some things on the outside, but what's really going on on the inside? We don't want to just be able to evaluate our feelings so that we can be navel gazers. It's so that we can become people of love, so that we can love ourselves, love God, and love others better. So we pay attention to our feelings. What am I really feeling? Ask yourself that every day. Ask yourself what's going on. And maybe especially when you find yourself in a place of reactivity. Why, am I, why did I just react to that person? The disproportionate reaction, right? Several years ago, uh, we used to live in a house that was built in 1904. And uh, as you can imagine, with a house built in 1904, there was a lot, it needed a lot of TLC. It needed a lot of renovation, needed a lot of paint, needed a lot of tearing walls down, needed a lot of all the, all the stuff. Well, I, I, I was working on painting the outside of the house, which took a few years because it had to take the aluminum siding off and then repair what was, what was damaged underneath and scrape it and prime it and all that kind of stuff. Well, I was on the final stretch and I was on this little roof above, the, uh, above our front porch painting kind of on the second floor, if you will, on the outside of the house. And I was putting the vinyl coat on this particular portion of the house. And, and I had a big five-gallon bucket. Of course, I didn't carry that up onto the roof. I just had a small bucket with some paint in it that I poured out of a big, huge five-gallon bucket. And that five-gallon bucket, which was brand new before I poured in about a half a gallon into the bucket that I was carrying, I put in the driveway. So as I'm painting, I look around the corner and I see my wife getting into the car in the garage and pulling out because I heard the garage door go open and I look around the corner and I see my wife backing out of the garage and the five-gallon bucket is sitting right there in our gravel driveway. And in slow motion, no! And the paint hundreds of dollars of paint, spilled out onto the gravel driveway. I don't remember going down the ladder. <laughs> and I started screaming, not at my wife, 
But I started screaming and yelling. She had two of our boys with her. And, and she, of course, at first, like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, anything I can do. I'm just like bonker, going bonkers. She's like, boys, let's go inside. And I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And blah, 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 blah. said a few things that I won't repeat. And I just was beside myself. Now, it's paint. It was disappointing. But my reaction was disproportionate to what had happened. Why? That's the question we need to ask. Why? So as I did that later, I had gone through some significant things. And I realized because of specifically a significant betrayal. And a couple of other things. I can't anything go right. And so in some ways in this moment I felt betrayed just by God, by the universe, by anything. And I was so angry. I was so angry. Why? Keep asking why. Keep asking what's underneath this. At the end of the day, I was really able to understand that really I just felt out of control. All these things had happened to me that I didn't have any control over. What am I going to do with that? Am I just going to be angry about it? Live in live with low current, undercurrent of rage and anger? Or can I deal with it? See, the idea behind being able to identify and then ask why is that we might bring it to God. See, that God's, see God speaks through our feelings and through our reactions, revealing areas of our lives needing healing and transformation. That's why. You ever find yourself lonely? Ask why. Maybe God wants to deal with your fear of rejection and the walls that you've put up that have actually been part of the reason you're lonely. Or maybe do you, have, do you find yourself angry? Maybe God wants to deal with your desire for control. Or maybe your anger is because God wants to deal with some sort of fear in your life, which is what drives your desire for control. Do you find your relationships regularly in a mess, broken? Maybe God wants to deal with your codependency. If we don't know what it is, we're not going to be able to ask why, which means we're not going to be able to then bring ourselves fully, honestly to God. See, God cannot transform the person you pretend to be. God transforms the person you are. And here's the beautiful thing about it. God's not upset with where you are. He's not like, I can't believe you. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Why are you so sad? In Genesis chapter 3, first story of the Bible, of course, we have creation and the crown jewel of creation is humans. Humans quickly decide that they want to go their own way and determine good and evil for themselves. And when that happens, God coming to walk with them in the cool of the day, as the scripture says, he doesn't find them where he normally finds them and they're hiding. 
And God says this, asks this, where are you? Where are you? Have you ever realized what a funny question that is? Does God really not know where they are? I mean, he's all-knowing. He made the world with his words. And he doesn't know where Adam is. I mean, it, it couldn't have gone far. Eden wasn't big. Where are you? It's an interesting question. But I think he was asking a bigger question. And a question he's asking you and he's asking me today. Where are you? Where are you? are you? Does God know where you are? Of course he does. He knows the number of hairs on your heads, but he is asking you the question, where are you? Where are you? Where's, what's happening in your soul? What's going on in the depths of who you are? Where are you? It's like Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, you cast out devils in my name. You did all this church activity. You were, you were like perfect attendance, all the stars on the chart, Christian. But I never knew you. Again, fascinating thought. It isn't that you never knew me, Jesus says. It's that I never knew you. So the question is, will you let God know you? Will you let God know the depths of your heart and your soul, every part of you? Will you let you know you? Be honest with that. Bring it before God. Allow Him to transform you. Allow Him to heal you. Allow Him to do something in your life so that your group interactions, your relational interactions, whether it be with your spouse or your kids or your coworkers or somebody in church or your next door neighbor, are interactions and relationships of love. Because that's what God, that's why God heals us, so that we might be more loving look more like Jesus, which requires that we go to places sometimes that we don't always like going. And so I just want you to take a moment, if you would, and I want you to ask the question, where are you? Answer the question, where are you? And for some of you here today, God's pursuing you and He's saying, where are you? And you would Maybe your response to that is that you would say, I'm far from God. If that's you here today, and maybe it's your first time in church or first time in a long time, God's invitation is to come home. God's invitation is to cross the line of faith. And it starts with a simple prayer, a simple declaration. Jesus, I give you my life. And if that's you here today, I just want to encourage you to respond to the invitation of Jesus to come home. Jesus, I give you my life. It's not the only prayer that you need to say to God, but it is an important first prayer. It's the beginning of a journey, a journey of walking with Jesus and giving him and loving him with every aspect of who you are. If that's you here today and you made that decision, you made the most important decision of your life, and the scripture says that all of heaven pauses and rejoices over that decision today. I want to pray for each and every one of us, regardless of where you find yourself in your spiritual journey. Can we all stand together as I close in prayer? Would you just open your hands towards heaven like this if you feel comfortable? 
Holy Spirit of God, we open our hearts and our hands towards you. And just as the psalmist writes in one thir- Psalm 139, search me and know me. Will you find any offensive or anxious ways in me? God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would hear your still small voice which brings things to the surface. Hey, you're pretty defensive there. You're pretty reactive over there. Hey, you're pretty short over here. You're pretty impatient with your wife or your, your husband over here. And it's not a word of condemnation. It's not a finger wagging. It's the gentle, loving, corrective voice of the Holy Spirit. Let me heal you in that area. Let me deal with that. Let's walk, go on a journey. Let's become emotionally more healthy so that you can be more spiritually mature and be the person that I've called you to be. So today, God, we say yes. We say yes to your way. We say yes to your work. We say yes to the eyes of the Holy Spirit, the exploration and searching of the Holy Spirit. May we be quick to repent, quick to confess, quick to be honest, quick to give it over to you. This we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.